the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. We have, my wife and I have felt so incredibly welcomed as we've engaged with Bethany in this process of discernment, uh, which then led to a yes uh, on both sides, and then this time of transition. We have felt your prayers, so thank you very much for that. Uh, Please continue to pray for our family. My wife, Christy, uh, was very much looking forward to being here this morning, and uh, she had been in town. Uh, But then last week, late last week, our oldest son fell and broke his arm pretty seriously. So he requires surgery tomorrow morning. Uh, So Christy flew back to Minnesota yesterday afternoon. She'll be with him for follow-up and care. So please pray for Tim as he goes into surgery uh, early tomorrow morning. But uh, it's been quite a whirlwind week. We have felt your prayers. We have seen God's hand at work. Uh, We... My wife and I drove out with a few pets stuffed into our station wagon last Monday, uh, sold our Minnesota home on Tuesday, and bought a house here on Thursday. So, so uh, it is absolutely God's hand uh, and the faithfulness of, of your prayers, and we give you thanks for that. It's, it's been a time of transition it's been a few months now, and it almost feels like another world as I think back to ministry at Redeemer Covenant Church in Minnesota. And as you can imagine, as I finished my, my ministry there, I put thought into, well, as I prepare my last sermon, you know, what, I, what do I want to have as my, as my parting words? What's the message I want to give? And if it seems strange for me to be talking about parting words on my first Sunday, just, just hang in there. You'll see where this is going. But we know that when people put together a, a farewell address or a, or a parting charge, they typically put extra care into, into that because they think about the lasting impression they want to have on their audience. And actually, we see that, that Jesus was no exception. If we look at the final words of Jesus recorded in Matthew 28, it's clear that he's put a lot of thought into what do I want to share with these friends of mine, these disciples. Now we know that the final, final words of Jesus to his gathered disciples and friends actually appear in the early pages of Acts. But here in Matthew 28, we see that Jesus has gathered his friends and he's giving them a charge, he's giving them encouragement. Because Jesus knows that, that he's about to depart. He knows he'll be back, but he also knows that it's going to be a while. And he knows that these friends of his that he's leaving behind, these friends who will go on to become the church, are going to need words of assurance, encouragement, but also clarity in terms of their mission and purpose as they go on to fulfill all that God has in mind for them. So let me read these perhaps familiar words that close Matthew's gospel. From Matthew 28. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. 
and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. There's so much that's happening in this relatively short but dense passage. First, we come face to face with the sobering fact that the disciples no longer number 12, but we're told that there are 11 of them. Because at this point, Judas Iscariot has not only betrayed Jesus into the hands of those who would kill him, but Judas has also taken his own life. Jesus' inner circle at this point has already faced intense pressure, incredible challenge, because Judas was not the only one to turn his back on Christ. We saw that all these disciples who had pledged allegiance to their master on that same night when Jesus was betrayed turned and fled into the night. But Jesus didn't give up on them. Jesus kept with plan A. He decided to keep on keeping on with these 11 who remained. And it was to them that he gave these final words of instruction. And we see evidence in this passage of of renewed commitment and obedience beginning to rekindle among these 11 disciples, even despite some doubts. Matthew tells us that Jesus went to Galilee to meet his friends on the mountain where he had told them that he would meet them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And, and as I read this, I'm struck by two things. First, I, I can't quite get my head around the fact that, that these disciples, these 11 who had spent three years with Jesus, who now had the, the risen from the dead Jesus right in front of their faces, somehow, for some reason, still doubted. And it seems odd to me until I recognize that actually I, I can picture myself there among them because I recognize that I believe and I worship and I wrestle with doubts and sometimes all at the same time. And maybe this morning you can picture yourself among these 11 as well. And then second, I see that though, even though there's this, this lingering doubt among some of the disciples, they all still obeyed. All 11 still showed up. They still traveled to the mountain in Galilee where Jesus had instructed them to go. And I imagine that journey as they walked along, maybe even articulating some of their, their doubts or uncertainties, picturing them encouraging each other as they went. It's like, Let, let's just go. Let's just get there. Let's just go to the place that Jesus has told us. And I'm encouraged as I think about my wrestling with my own doubts. This is an encouragement to me to keep on showing up, to keep on obeying, keep going to the place where Jesus has called me to go, even if I'm not completely sure all that's going on. I'm confident because of this passage that, that Jesus, in spite of my uh, mixed record of, of perfect faith, would choose to send me in spite of my doubts. And we have evidence to support this right here in this passage because we see that Jesus goes on to commission to kind of deputize all 11 of these disciples. He charged them. He sent them out despite the fact that he surely knew some doubted. Because Matthew doesn't say, and then Jesus went on to tell those or to say to those who didn't doubt. No, we're told that Jesus told all of them, told all 11 all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, this famous charge, these famous parting words have been often called the Great Commission. In fact, in your Bibles or on your Bible apps over this section of Scripture, you might see a label, the Great Commission. But the Gospel of Matthew actually doesn't specifically use that term. It's a phrase that that came quite uh, late in the history of Christianity. Some scholars argue it was coined by Baron Justinian von Welts. Now, if you never heard of him, join the club. Because I had never heard of him before I, be, I did some additional research on this passage. But von Welts was a 17th century Lutheran nobleman. And he insisted that these words in Matthew 28 weren't just intended for those 11, but were actually a charge to the Christian church for all time. And so these words of Jesus apply to us today. Von Welts went on to propose a missionary organization called the Jesus Loving Society to spread Christianity throughout the world. And I love that title, the Jesus Loving Society, because it brings to mind echoes of Jesus' words in John 14, 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. And these words of Jesus, this, this command of Christ in Matthew 28 are among his clearest commands. To be commissioned is to be charged. It's to be given clear orders. To be commissioned is to be given an invitation, kind of like our new members were today, an invitation to take an oath, to make a commitment. This past May, our family had the honor of of attending the the commissioning of our son, Tim, who just broke his arm. Uh, He was commissioned as a second lieutenant in the United States Army. And as part of that, commissioning, Tim took an oath, and it was an oath that, that honestly demanded a lot of him. His mission in about, and what he was about to enter was clearly stated, and he knew what was being asked of him. He knew what might even someday be demanded of him. His taking of that oath was an indication that he was all in that he wasn't holding back, that he was committed, he was ready to move forward in the mission that he was being given. And I think that's the sense of this great commission that we've received from Jesus. Because Jesus really isn't mincing any words. He's not giving us a mission in a way that makes it sound easy or necessarily fun. It's serious stuff. He's laying it on the line in terms of what's being asked of those who would choose to serve and follow in his name. This commission, it is indeed a great commission, not in the sense that we would say, oh, I'm feeling great, or it's a great day. This is a great commission in the sense that greatness implies immensity and significance, gravity and importance. And this morning, as we consider the great commission once again, I want to invite you to, to consider a little, a little mental twist and to also consider the Great Commission to be a great co-mission, a great co-mission, because Jesus gave his followers a mission, there were clear instructions, but he didn't send them out alone. He sent them out together. 
And as Christ followers today, again, even as we celebrate new members coming into the church, we say we're doing this together. We are co-missioned in this charge we have from Jesus Christ. We're sent together. Jesus came to the disciples that day and said to all of them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. He's addressing them all, and he sends us all. In fact, if you look at at the book of Acts, which is the story of the unfolding uh, narrative of the Christian church as they begin to live into this great commission, if you look at the story of Acts, you will very rarely see anyone doing anything solo. We see apostles traveling in pairs. We see groups forming and discerning together. We see churches that are partnering in mission and supporting each other. We see people encouraging each other. We see people correcting each other when they need to. They are in it together. And that was important. That was crucial because this mission that Jesus gave his friends that day, it's a big mission. And they would need each other. They were commissioned for a purpose. And it was going to take working together, steady resolve, and a keen focus on Christ for them to gather to be able to fulfill that purpose. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And so this is the work of the church. This is our mission. This is our commission from Christ to make disciples, to baptize new disciples, to teach them to follow the teachings of Christ now, we know that these aren't the only things that the church does. We know that the church seeks to meet the needs of the poor. We know the church works on behalf of the marginalized. The church works for justice. The church raises up and equips pastors and missionaries and lay leaders. We gather together for God-honoring worship. We gather for sacraments. We pray for one another. We pray for those around us. But all these other works of the church really fall into that category of doing all the things that Christ commanded us to do. And so really, they are wrapped under the umbrella of the Great Commission as well. At Bethany, as Diane said in the greeting time this morning, our mission is inviting people to know God, inspiring people to follow Jesus, and involving people to serve their neighbors both near and far. In other words, we seek to make disciples who will then follow Jesus and who will then go and make disciples. So if that mission statement sounds a bit like a rewording of the Great Commission, that's no coincidence. That's not an accident because the mission of the church remains the same. For Bethany, this is the start of a a new chapter in some ways of, of ministry and mission together, but our mission remains the same. The mission of the church hasn't changed What sometimes changes is the opportunity and the challenge to figure out, okay, in our context, here and now, what does faithful fulfillment of this commission look like? What do we do in response to the mission with which we've been charged? And we need to discern together and move forward in obedience. We're still called to make disciples, to invite people to put their faith in Jesus, to begin that forever journey with him. We're called to teach and to train those disciples, to guide them to study intently the teachings of Jesus and to seek to model 
their lives after his. To live out these teachings with courage and authenticity in a world that needs both and that needs Jesus, that needs disciples who will go and make disciples. I love that we see evidence of that mission fulfillment bubbling up here. As we think about the, the baptism that happened last week, the one that's scheduled for next week, the welcoming of new members this week, the mission of God is continuing to unfold here at Bethany Covenant Church. And we're going to be spending the next several weeks together diving into this mission statement, seeing what does it mean for us to be increasingly intentional about inviting, inspiring, and involving as we sense that that's God's call to us in this time, in this place. And as we live into that great commission together, to that co-mission together, we'll discover we've been sent, yes, with a purpose, but also with a promise. Because Jesus told his followers, surely I am with you always, always, to the very end of the age. And that's how Matthew ends his gospel, with this promise of Jesus just kind of hanging in the air. Jesus is about to leave his disciples to ascend to heaven, and he consoles them with these words, that he'll, he'll never leave them. He's going away, and yet he's not. And we see here a foreshadowing of the promise of the Holy Spirit that Jesus makes clear as he greets his friends again in the early pages of Acts. As followers of Jesus, we are not alone. We have been co-missioned with brothers and sisters. And we have Christ himself with us as he promises to be with us to the end of the age. We've been joined together with one another, joined together as the body with Christ himself as our head. And together we live into the mission we've been given. And as we do so, we pay attention to those words of Jesus that charge, these parting words, as he says, go, go. The things that Jesus calls us to do will see us on the move if we are faithful. We can't be stationary and fulfill our mission. We can't be complacent and fulfill our co-mission. We'll be going and making disciples. We'll be going and baptizing and teaching. And every time we do gather together in times like this, we'll find that we go from this place and are relaunched into our community, into our world to make the name of Jesus known. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you for calling us to yourself. Thank you for calling us and naming us yours, your people, your disciples, your church, even your friends. And Lord, thank you for, for also sending us in your name, in your power, and with the promise of your constant presence. Keep us faithful, Lord. Help us to be disciples who make disciples for your glory and for the eternal good of those around us. Amen.